On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. First of all, I'm joined in studio by Peter Power of UNICEF Ireland. Peter, um, we're going to talk more about Afghanistan because Afghanistan is one of those stories where when we've seen it on the front pages of the Sunday papers for the last couple of weeks, we always say we wanted to come back to it and we will come back to it. And you have just been in Afghanistan. But first and foremost, because we have spent so much of the show already talking about what's going on in Ukraine, particularly in Mariupol, you you are obviously in, in regular contact with other UNICEF colleagues around the world, particularly those in Ukraine. Um, they must be facing into a very, very grim situation at the moment. Yes, uh, Gavin, we, we have 140 colleagues uh, in Ukraine. They've been there for 25 years now, mostly the last eight years. They've been focused on the Donbass region, which is where the low-level conflict uh, took place up until now. Uh, Mariupol is uh, home to one of uh, UNICEF's offices throughout Ukraine, and we are deeply, deeply concerned now about what is happening in Mariupol over the last number of days. The absolutely indiscriminate and unjustifiable uh, bombing of that city, its critical infrastructure, its health facilities, its schools, its places where women and children are sheltering uh, is is unconscionable. Uh, And we are very concerned for the over 400,000 people who are now in the city and cannot get out. And that has now descended into a real humanitarian catastrophe. 400,000 people is an extraordinary, even yes. just trying to conceptualise how many people mm. that is. It's filling Croke Park five times over. And of course, I'd imagine what makes trying to deal with that on a humanitarian basis so much more challenging is because it has been effectively sealed mm. off for a fortnight. It's Correct. very difficult for your colleagues to get any kind of aid into the region to then disperse it to those who need it. Well, we had prepositioned a fair amount in advance of the uh, the actual conflict itself, uh, but now it's impossible to get uh, humanitarian aid into uh, Mariupol. We have seventy eight trucks dispatched uh, to Ukraine. That's seven hundred and eighty tons of uh, of humanitarian assistance for hygiene kits, health kits, uh, blankets for children and women uh, on the move. But what we need now, what is absolutely critical now is to establish stable humanitarian corridors to allow women and children who are innocent in this conflict, who are non-combatants, uh, they need to be able to leave that city. And there is an obligation, there's an obligation on all those uh, involved in conflict to observe international humanitarian law, not to target critical infrastructure, civilian infrastructure, uh, non-combatants and particularly children. And there are many thousands of children in Mariupol as the city is 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 raided with missiles and bombs constantly. It may feel like I'm asking you to, to restate the obvious, but just for those who maybe haven't quite grasped the, the nettle of what it is that they're facing there, what are the humanitarian needs that women and children are facing in Mariupol? What exactly is the situation for them today on the ground right now? Well, the only word to describe it is dire. Uh, there have there the reports are that there's been no water, uh, no electricity, no sanitation, no hygiene uh, for these women and children who are sheltering in art centres and theatres which are being bombed. Uh, so the humanitarian needs are in essence are uh, warm blankets, uh, winter clothing for the children clean water, clean sanitation, hygiene for women, especially pregnant women. We've shipped in a a fair amount of of that sort of health-related material uh, so far. But what they need more than anything else is peace. 
they need to be able to get out of a situation which is not of their making uh, to safety uh, uh, and into the safe uh, safe areas on the European Union uh, border. And there is an obligation on those people involved in, the, in this uh, conflict uh, to allow that to happen. And not to do so is unconscionable. You use the word dire to describe what's going on there. And I, I wonder whether even that is a charitable word compared to what's been going on in Afghanistan. Because I say, you know, we've seen some, some colour pieces or some reporting from the ground in the Sunday papers. And that was the reason why we were keen to get you in. I know that a couple of weeks ago, you was, were part of a delegation that went to Afghanistan. That's mm-hmm. a country, of course, which has now been under Taliban rule for several months, where the economy has completely dissolved, where there is basically no wealth getting in or out, where it's very difficult to get humanitarian aid. And the the real life circumstances then for families and particularly children on the ground must be so far beyond dire. Yes, it's it is uh, a real uh, humanitarian uh, situation in in Afghanistan. You know the the headline figures are, uh, you know, for a population estimated at forty million people, uh, eighteen million of those, almost half, are food insecure, just do not have access to uh, proper food. 13 million of those are children. Uh, and worryingly for UNICEF, of course, is the 1 million children who are uh, at risk of falling into severe acute malnutrition. That's uh, a polite word for starvation, uh, unless they receive urgent humanitarian assistance. A, milli- a million children one, at risk of starvation. Absolutely. one. And last year alone, we treated 340,000 children for severe acute malnutrition. That is a condition where a child will die unless he or she receives urgent humanitarian assistance. So was the situation that grave before the, the political turmoil of last summer? Like, Was there always this sort of underlying humanitarian worry there or have things just completely blossomed now since the Taliban's takeover? Well, it's an excellent question because uh, Afghanistan has been in conflict in one form of another for 40 years. And interestingly, uh, in the 1970s, Afghanistan was, was stable a relatively liberal women particularly enjoyed freedoms it was a place where backpackers stopped off on their way to 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 india uh, but after 40 years of conflict uh, the situation has deteriorated and but it was it the humanitarian situation was poor uh, before last august but it has deteriorated hugely since then. And the reason for that is that the country was virtually entirely dependent on all of the inflows of money from uh, the uh, multilateral organisations, other other countries to keep the system uh, afloat. And that would be doctors, teachers, civil servants. All that Mm. money is gone now and there's a real liquidity crisis in Mm. in the economy. The economy has imploded so people there there is the ironic thing is we saw food in the markets but people have no money to buy it so it's a huge challenge for the Taliban now there is they have brought stability for for what that's worth uh, despite all the other issues uh, and the challenge now for the Taliban is to develop the country develop uh, the economy and to allow critically mm. to allow women's rights and girls rights and that specifically means for us allowing girls to get back to school yeah. A little bit of what you said there actually has echoes with uh, something that I've heard before from uh, Margaret Harris of the World Health Organization another UN body and we've had her on the show regularly in the last couple of years yes. to talk about the, the state of play with COVID as it pertains to that and the very last time I spoke to her I was you know saying you know are you ever going to get back to, to Australia where she's from and she said well I'm going to be travelling next week because I'm going to Afghanistan uh, you know out of mm-hmm. out of one crisis and into another and she was talking about how the how Afghanistan under the Taliban has been so completely divorced or so detached so isolated now from the world's financial systems and also from humanitarian systems 
that obviously from a health perspective it was becoming very difficult to run the place because the Red Cross or Red Crescent just could not get any resources in. Have you found similar things then? Were other humanitarian networks which were somewhat keeping the show on the road throughout the last yeah. 20 or 40 years of conflicts that now that the, the country has been completely cast adrift that it's almost impossible to get aid into the country or are there still ways that you can do it? Yeah, well, obviously the uh, the airport, the Hamad Karzai airport uh, was closed for a significant period and that was obviously one of the big air bridges to get humanitarian aid into the country. Uh, you can get it in from uh, Pakistan but those uh, supply routes were severely curtailed uh, last August. Now, we did decide to stay and deliver uh, we kept our people in there. In fact, I, I met some of my uh, colleagues who were holed up in the UNICEF compound for over 12 weeks before they were allowed to get out on their humanitarian wow. mission. And I have the absolute utmost admiration for them. On your question in relation to health, yes, we were in health centres. Unbelievable. Over 300 people crammed into a small health centre, one doctor and very few nurses. And we met the people who were treating children, as I said, for severe acute malnutrition. And they said those rates have doubled uh, in the last number of weeks. And that's obviously of real concern. Um, you know, as you look into the future, Gavin, the, um, the, the on a positive note, there is stability in the country now. There isn't endemic violence. That allowed us to get mm. uh, to places such as Bad Geese, which is like, you know, close to the Iranian border, way up in the mountains, incredibly remote. We passed through villages loads of villages with no running water, no electricity, none of the basic needs that we would take for granted here. And their situation is very, very difficult. So the, But the, the challenge for the future now is to uh, empower young people, but especially young girls, as in one classroom, an inspiring classroom, not, a huge, not, not too much bigger than this uh, studio, mm. where 73 girls were crammed into, literally... Cheek by jowl, shoulder oh, well, to shoulder. Well, it would have to be literally cheek by jowl because obviously <laughs> listeners don't know the size of the studio that we're recording this in, yeah. but it, it's hardly spacious. It's not spacious. Like, but you wouldn't want to put much more than a dozen adults here. Yeah. Like, it's 73. But these children, all, children. All, all girls, all kneeling down, shoulder to shoulder, uh, all proudly holding on to their books. And such was their desire, such was their determination to be educated themselves. And the interesting thing is, uh, when we left the classroom, we spoke to the village elders, all men, because the women weren't allowed to speak to us. Oh, but all the men did express a desire for their daughters, but mainly their granddaughters, uh, to be educated. And that was a positive sign because mm. these children are the future of Afghanistan if they are allowed and if they are empowered. This may be a question which is is too difficult to answer very shortly or in a very succinct way, but how do the Taliban feel about the fact that the country has experienced such a humanitarian catastrophe under their watch and the need for there to be international aid. Because from the outside, you might get the impression that these are very proud people that they have fought for 20 years, as they would say, to get their country back. And now that they have it, and at least they have brought relative peace to the country, but obviously at huge humanitarian cost. Are they open-minded to, are they, do they acknowledge the need for global aid to try and keep their people fed and healthy or are they in, in something of a denial about how bad things have gotten? Uh, well, you are correct. It is a difficult question and I can't put myself into the mind of the uh, the current administration. We've got to remember uh, that the, the administration isn't really, it's a de facto administration, but it isn't really recognised mm. by the global community yet. Um, is that a problem? It is, in my opinion. It is a problem because uh, the, the humanitarian aid and as you identified, 
Gavin, uh, the the banking system, mm. uh, the the flows of of finance. There there is finance available to come in. That needs to come in. Uh, money needs to be flowing through the arteries of the economy. That is the critical need at the moment. It's As a very difficult thing to sell to the rest of the world, though, when they spent uh, so much of the world spent twenty years in a military campaign trying to stop the Taliban from taking over. And if they're say right, if, if you're going to have this revolution of sorts, and you're now governed by an administration that nobody elected that's it, we want nothing to do with you, we're going to make you a hermit state. It's going to be very difficult to make that argument to the rest of the world that actually they need to reintegrate Afghanistan if there isn't to be tens or hundreds of thousands of children starving to death. It is a difficult question and one, uh, you know, I can't give you a straightforward answer to, unfortunately, but you, your previous question was about the humanitarian situation. Yes, it, they clearly recognise because you can see it. You can see it everywhere you go. There is clearly a huge humanitarian crisis. As I said, 18 million people, 13 million of which are children, don't have access to a stable a supply of food. So they understand that and they are interacting uh, with the international agencies. Uh, our people had meetings with their Department of Education uh, only last week in relation to the reopening of the schools. A critical day, 22nd of March, only a couple of days away when the schools reopen and people, uh, children are allowed to register. And that day, in my opinion, will be critical for the future of Afghanistan because children or girls need to be able to be registered and need to be mm. able to go to school. If, if that does not happen, I do worry about the future. And to those in the West, and I'll make this final question, Peter, you've been very generous with your time. To, to those in the West who might be minded to say, well, no, the Taliban are, are not people that you can ever try and give some sort of vicarious acknowledgement to. You can't recognise them as being legitimate rulers. And they would say, therefore, we can't send any of our money or any of our resources that way. What do you say to them? Well, what I'd say uh, is that that's a political question, Gavin, previously in politics, but uh, it's not a question that a humanitarian organisation can really answer. Uh, We have to just deal with the situation on the ground as we see it, as we find it, Uh, try and work with the the de facto administration, try and uh, keep those conversations going about schools, about health, uh, about food security uh, and get whatever aid we can out to the places like Bad Geese that I mentioned. Very, very, very remote areas that the world, I hope, will not forget uh, because this is a tragedy unfolding in Afghanistan. Well, very important to make sure that it isn't forgotten, particularly with what's going on with Ukraine because sometimes your mind can only be occupied by so many things at once. But, uh, but I'm very pleased you were able to come in and just remind us about it because it is something we were keen to get back to and I'm very pleased you could give us some of your, your first-hand experience there. Peter Power of UNICEF Ireland joining us on the record this Thank Sunday you. lunchtime.